This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Hey guys, trying to run a business here, okay? So if you can pack up your things, get the HE double hockey sticks to fudge out of here. You know, I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything, just get the fudge out. All right, you know, maybe rock out somewhere else. Scary Kids Scaring Kids are an American post-hardcore band from Gilbert, Arizona. Formed in 2002, the band released their debut EP, After Dark, in 2003, followed by their breakout debut record, The City Sleeps in Flames, in 2005. Their sophomore self-titled record followed in 2007 and the band broke up in 2009 and though they had been working on a new record, the release was shelved as vocals had not yet been recorded. Scary Kids Scaring Kids announced their return in 2019 with former Sayerson frontman Cove Reber on vocals as Tyson Stevens had tragically passed away from a suspected heroin overdose in 2014. This year, Scary Kids, Scaring Kids will release their first full-length record in 15 years. Taking a unique approach to the construction of the album, each track features a different vocalist as a tribute to Stevens. Scary Kids, Scaring Kids are emo darlings, forever a respected peer within the scene and a band who never truly reached their potential, despite showing so much. From keyboard-driven bangers like My Darkest Hour to piano ballads like Watch Me Bleed and every post-hardcore gem in between, Scary Kids always entertained and enthralled. I'm Paul, alongside me is Nick, and today on Violence and Sunshine, we're exploring Scary Kids Scaring Kids. Well, Skinny Nick, long-time listeners would be well aware of our conversations about keyboard guys, but <laughs> I don't know about you, but this could be my favorite keyboard guy that we've covered. I'm loving the keys on these records. How are you feeling about them? I love the keys from Scary Kids, Scaring Kids. I don't know exactly what it is other than that I just feel that the keys have a purpose. Finally, they're not just kind of like plonked in with no real meaning or adding nothing to the songs. These guys actually use keys in a in a cool, unique way for a, an emo post-hardcore type band. And I love it, man. I love the use of keys, especially in the self-titled album where I, it's pretty much used in every single song. It's like a prominent kind of instrument now. It's not just some weird little bit in a bridge or a little cheesy intro only although they do do that as well um but it's uh it, it's used well and and they know what they're doing with it and i really really like it that's absolutely it it always feels like it belongs and so often we're critical because it just seems like it's just been dropped in because they needed that friend of theirs to have a job in the band but that's not the case for scary kids scaring kids who certainly seem to justify having their amazing keyboard guy so let's get talking about these records and there's really only two main records but i i definitely got stuck right into the city sleeps in flames their 2005 uh, debut album and it was a pleasure this week to listen to it i wasn't the biggest uh scary kids scaring kids fan at the time though i think they were just one of those bands that were around uh we definitely listened to them we were aware of them i've never seen them live i don't think they were a band that ever would have come all that often to australia they probably toured here i'm sure a lot of bands around that time were uh but they weren't one that i was like rushing out to go see but uh, it's it's a it's a really good debut album. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and probably what 
uh, had me hooked in and and boosting my level of fun with this album was I could just constantly hear other influences throughout the entire album. And maybe the beauty of some of that was them releasing this a little bit later, you know, 2005 for their their first debut album after forming in 2002. So they took their time, you know, they didn't rush into it. They did release an earlier EP. Uh, they put together this album and I, I really like it, man. It, it, it's a really uh, cool, unique kind of sound for an emo band, I feel. Like the, the guitars are uh, at a higher level than usual. Obviously, you've got keyboard guy actually doing something in the band. Uh, the vocals are really, really, really solid, like lots of harmonies. Uh, and then you've got a screamer who actually does a very decent job for, uh, you know, a debut album. It's a real fun album. Is that sort of the vibes you picked up from listening to this one? It was an interesting one because I very much was into it at the time and listening back to it, the hooks came flooding back, but I found it to be quite a weird little mishmash of different things. And I think you've probably gone the more optimistic route of like hearing the different influences. To me, I heard a little bit of a band that didn't really know what they wanted to settle on. And, you know, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. They are kind of feeling their way out, but it was a bit of a pivot from the sound of the EP. And I don't know if fans latched onto fans that already existed latched onto what they were now doing. This record, I think, would have gotten them a hell of a lot of new fans. It's certainly what what grabbed our attention. And I think, you know, we keep talking about keyboards. You mentioned a little bit of cheesiness. There's one song that I think really kind of grabs <laughs> everyone. You, you mentioned fun, and I don't think there's heaps of fun on this record, but there is this track, which is nothing but fun. Should we give the listeners a little taste of something now? Let's give it to them, man. Here's a little bit of My Darkest Hour. I love that man. That's just fun. That is a, that is a a lick that would usually be done on a on a lead guitar and would probably just be quite standard and generic and you would never even talk about the opening of that song again. But they do it on keys with even like a real kind of like synthy 80s almost like video game style sound to it and it ropes in and that is the for early scary kids scaring kids that is the sound of them that I remember is that keyboard that actually is in the band it's noticeable it's front and center and it's fun it's just like there for a bit of fun but i do think you you do make a very good point in that they this album in particular is a bit of a mishmash of of genres and styles and songs and i do agree i had a lot of fun listening to it but you you have nailed it it's not a very cohesive album it doesn't really flow from start to finish and it does work because a part of me this week was realizing also that these guys are a bit more talented than I think I gave them credit for at the time. And on The Only Medicine, one of my favorite songs on the song, there's this really cool guitar solo uh, that just showcases that I think these guys aren't just another emo band. Let's play that little clip for the listener now.
Atreyu must have been, you know, sweating, <laughs> sweating in their pants. What's the what's the expression there? Shaking in their boots. That's what I was looking Shaking for. Shaking in their boots. Sweating yeah, in yeah, their man. pants. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. We did we did Atreyu last week. Also, you know, a bit of Shredzor on the guitar, throwing in some, you know, crazy guitar solos that wouldn't usually be associated with these bands and this style. But these guys are good enough to do it, so why not? And that that hearing that song this week on that first album really made me reminded me that these guys are good they they really are talented musicians who, who are very good at what they do every instrument is pretty much perfect these these guys are great and i love that bands like this were willing to take these risks you know have these cheesy keyboards that otherwise you know people would probably pick on and laugh at but it works have these ridiculous guitar solos that don't really fit into the you know, post-hardcore, screamo, emo genre, but fuck it, we've got guitarists that can do it, so we're going to do it. And I, I just I just really like that they clearly were having fun, they were trying different things. It's the first album, it was kind of like, throw some shit at the wall and see what sticks and see what our fans think. This, I think, is a culmination of a lot of influences that were floating around and a lot of different ideas. I know if we had have put out a full-length album in 2005, it would have been a collection of all of our influences and varying ideas as well. So I guess it's probably more of a sign of the times and a criticism when we say that it's not super cohesive. It was a band kind of going, hmm, what can we toy with? What can we play around with? Like, even the song The World As We Know It is connected to the film 28 Days Later and the concept of the song is this rage virus. In Violence and Sunshine, we did an entire EP about a rage virus. Like, we did a concept EP based <laughs> yeah. on that film. So, like, we were even being derivative of bands that were being derivative. So, I think the times were a lot of fun in, in the scene back then and there was so much push and pull, you know, like, are we going to be a little bit more punk? Are we going to be screamer? Are we going to be metal? Are we going to be metalcore? And there were so many things to choose from. And like a kid in a candy shop, sometimes it was like, well, I, I want to try all of those things. They definitely did try. They were the kid in the candy store for sure. And they did try a little bit of everything. And something that I just wanted to kind of uh, piece together a little bit this week was just some of the key influences that I heard when I was listening through this album. And I've kind of keyed up a few clips from some songs where there really seems like an influence from another band and bands we like and enjoy where it's not a rip-off it's 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 just the influence that clearly they were listening to similar music that we were listening to and they were drawing on inspiration where they could so i'm going to kind of just fire through these relatively quickly and then we can talk about it after but i want to start with this kind of it, it wouldn't be usually associated with this band, but this more chill version that they sometimes have, this Thursday-like influence, uh, the song's What's Said and Done. Let's listen to a little bit of what I can hear as a bit of an influence from the Thursday team. Because life's too short to spend alone in misery. You're hearing some Thursday there, the the rolling drums, the bass, that kind of you know fairy airy guitar that's just jangling in the background. Even the vocal style seems similar. Absolutely, it's not a sound I often think about influencing others, but as soon as you hear someone else doing it, you're like, yeah, holy shit, there it is, right there. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Well, well, we'll keep this going with these. We'll kind of play them, and and then we'll talk about what I heard, and we'll see if you agree or not. We'll move to drowning you in fear. And this is where I just, I'm just picking up more from the music than anything and the guitars 
particularly a bit of a boys' night out influence. Let's see what your thoughts are on this one. Boys Not Out do it better than anyone, just that constant, uh, you know, guitars. They're always doing something. There's never a dull moment, especially on Trainwreck uh, by Boys Not Out. And I just love that uh, Scary Kids, Scary Kids had guitarists that were capable of doing this sort of stuff too. And always thinking about, I guess, brightening up songs a bit. What's something a little, a little pre-chorus, a little pre-bridge, a little bit of extra here, extra there. Like, it's not just kind of a stock standard rock song it's you know we'll keep, we'll keep the listener giving them something interesting to listen to this one might be a little bit of a stretch i'm not sure if you're gonna go for this one don't tell me who it is then and let's see if i can guess it all right let's see if you hear anything here uh that could i'm not even going to tell you what whether it's vocals music otherwise but the song is uh the bright side of suffering let's just have a little listen to this section and and you let me know your thoughts We have spoken about one of the best vocalists in metalcore, and that's got to be a little bit of influence from 2004's They're Only Chasing Safety, a bit of Spencer Chamberlain under oath. Is that what you're hearing there? Mate, 100%. I'm so glad you hear it too. It's Definitely. the phrasing. It's the it's The, the talk melody thing. Yeah. It's not the same voice. You know, Spencer's a bit heavier than that, but that kind of breaking in and out of yelling into screaming I fucking love it. A little, little, uh, you know, little shout out to Spencer. Clearly, there seems to be a bit of a influence there. I've got one more for you. Again, I won't say anything. I'll just see. Uh, this is probably the band that, especially chorus-wise, the way they kind of launch into quite uplifting, powerful choruses. Uh, I feel like this this band had to have been a bit of an influence for these guys. But the song is just a taste, and uh, and let's have a listen. gonna have to tap out on this one because i can't stand that chorus or that song <laughs> so when i hear that i just go oh i bet tyson can't sing that live and tune out so uh, please enlighten me well it might be even the, the the band and especially the singer that i'm hearing a bit there maybe you're not the biggest fan of them either i don't think we've ever talked about them much but i'm getting big dashboard confessional vibes there i i just like you know, Dashboard obviously started a bit earlier, very just, you know, lead singer only doing uh, acoustic stuff, then bigger band around it, bigger songs, had like, I think, one of the lead songs on one of the Spider-Man movies. And that to me just sounds like a, a cheesy Hollywood kind of epic film. And you could just kind of plug that, that chorus and that uplifting vibe into it but whether you agree or not on that one i think it's just a, a, a bit of a showcase there that here's a band that you know we're trying a lot of different things we're, we're tapping into a lot of different styles a lot of bands that we already were big fans of uh so you listen to these songs and it's it's fun because and it's enjoyable uh because you're hearing a lot of stuff from other bands that you also enjoy and somehow 
it works. As, as we said, it's not the most cohesive album as an album in full, not, not really one that you would ever kind of probably just listen to all the way through, but you pluck out your favorite songs, you, you t- get taken back in time a little bit, and yeah, man, I, d- I really liked it. It's been nice listening to this one because, as I said, not the biggest fan at the time. I've listened to them more than I ever have in my life this week, but it's it's been enjoyable, man. I really like them. I really enjoyed that analysis. And in regards to Dashboard, they're actually a band we've had requests to cover. So um, that is something we could look at down the line because... Their story is really great and really interesting. Chris Carabba seems like a great dude. And our bro Dana from the Two Week Notice podcast has done an excellent interview with him, which is well worth listening to if you are looking for a dashboard fix before we get to it. I've listened to it. It's really good. And I do have a pretty pretty big draw to do dashboard at some time. So we'll definitely have to find the time and and do them. and, and, And it'd be nice to hear from some of the listeners as to what what dashboard stuff they'd like us to cover because it's pretty broad and there's a lot of different stuff out there. But um, yeah, Chris is an amazing vocalist and we, we will go down that path at some point. But we're talking scary kids, scaring kids. And as we do each week, we reach out to our good mate Greblo. We want to hear his thoughts. So here's Shimfo with Greblo. I've often had a conversation with Skinny Nick about how you've got a pimp a sauce, you know, like... If you're making a spaghetti bolognese or a pasta sauce or a pizza sauce, you get that passata from Woolies or Coles and you pimp it up, you know, you add a bit of basil, a little bit of garlic, a little bit of goyan chili flakes, if you will. And I enjoy the conversation. But gee whiz, I wish I had it with scary kids versus scaring kids. They've never added a depth of flavour to anything in their lives. Oh, that there is shallow as my first girlfriend who wouldn't let me wear a bandana. They're so boring, Paul said. We're doing scary kids versus scaring kids. And I thought, who? (laughs) I wonder if he got the right band. Scary kids versus scaring kids. Oh, man. Yeah, maybe he's listening to something entirely different because that's that's not the band. Uh, You can drop the verses uh, there. But um, I think, actually... His his main point is that he finds them really boring. He doesn't think that they're all that interesting. He think, and I reckon I've just spent the last twenty minutes saying how interesting I find them, <laughs> and, and how and how I think they are a little bit unique and different from a lot of other stock standard emo screamo bands. So I, I personally, I think I have to disagree with the majority of that. Other than yes, definitely all our listeners that enjoy kick, uh, cooking, pimp up your uh, pimp up your pasta sauce because it's not hard to do and it tastes much better. Get that flavor involved. Yeah. I certainly see that maybe the casual listener didn't get attracted to scary kids, scaring kids at the time and probably wouldn't have much reason to be attracted to them now. You know, we can go back through these songs and, and attach memories to certain ones and, and, and analyze where the band was coming from. But yeah, maybe when I said to Greblo, scary kids, scaring kids, and he looked up scary kids versus scaring kids and he put them on, <laughs> it, it wasn't his cup of tea. And um. I always appreciate his input. Moving on with Scary Kids, Scaring Kids. In 2006, they released a great cover of Losing My Religion by R.E.M. on the classic Punk Goes records. This one was a Punk Goes 90s. And I really loved this. I think when you're 15, you're not necessarily appreciating who R.E.M. are and you're not necessarily understanding their importance. So when you hear a screamo band doing a song, which was, was and is all the rage, it can sometimes make you have a new connection to it. On a road trip recently, I was singing every word to California Love and Ruth was like, oh yeah, get it. 
I know every word to that song because of a punk goes pop record, you know, like hearing it sung rather than rapped, it all sticks in my head. But there's always nice little connections to it. And whenever I hear this version, whether it's the best version or not, I don't know, but I'm certainly attached to it. And I'm going to give the listener a little taste now. Now, Aria may have made the mandolin punk rock, but Scary Kids Scaring Kids replaced it with a keyboard, and usually we'd be hating on that. I adored it. I adore it too, man, and that brings back a lot of memories. We loved the Punk Goes albums back in the day. It didn't matter whether it was Goes Pop, Goes Metal, Goes 90s, didn't, didn't matter, and that was an absolute standout. And the use of keys uh, to replace the, the prominent REM sound that we had heard, but in a totally different light is awesome they nail it i reckon it's one of the one of the better covers going around from those albums it's so cool the punk goes records have come up a couple of times and i think it's something we're going to have to approach but there's just so many and i was thinking maybe we could do some kind of like march madness playoff bracket where we like present some of our favorites from across the spectrum put them up against each other so listeners if you would be interested in an episode on the punk goes collection of records please let us know if that's something you'd like to hear. Following on from the Punk Goes Records, they released a self-titled record in 2007. And this was the band maturing a little bit more, refining their sound a little bit, but I still think there's elements of the record being a little bit all over the place. You know, the first record they described as only having four weeks to write it, but this record, they really wanted to focus on the record and they took a whopping six weeks to write the record. <laughs> so I think it's still plagued by some of those identity issues that even though they would have spent two years growing and refining their sound and probably writing the songs in riffs and things on the road a bit more, there's still very much that feeling to me that it just doesn't quite know what it wants to be. And I also think it's 16 tracks. It's way too long. You know, you get to kind of, you get to this lull in the middle of the record and then a slightly stronger tail end, but there'll be songs like bunched together that sound very similar. Like, you know, you've got some post-hardcore stuff, you've got some weird Southern stuff, then you've got this like super emo stuff like Watch Me Bleed and Goes Without Saying, two really slow songs glued together. And I just, I'm a little bit confused by the length of the record and the track listing. It doesn't mean there aren't absolute gems on there. Like the record kicks off with Degenerates, which is like a better Chiotis. Like I was listening to that and just being like, first at first I was like, ah, is this kind of reject shop Chiotis? Then I'm like, no, this is better Chiotis. <laughs> the next song, Holding On, which has clear vocal improvements. And these songs are hard to sing, man. And anyone who's seen YouTube clips of this band performing live knows that it was a pretty rough deal for Tyson. Like, there's not many good live clips of this band. They're hard songs to sing and the live show didn't quite match up. Faces is a really interesting song because I remember Phil and I used to criticize the band based on this song. I want to play the verse, talk about that a little bit, and then play the chorus. The reason I'm going to do that is because across their records, they don't seem to know what they want to be. And to me, this is a song where they don't know what they want to be. So I'll play the verse from Faces now. So that's like tough as fuck, really great first lead single from the record. 
And like, I'm hooked just like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I got this. Yeah. A little bit more of that. And then this is the chorus. Who the fuck am I? But I don't like it. No, no. Well, you talked before about not liking the chorus from just a taste. It just wasn't for you. That's the chorus on on self-titled that's just not for me either, man. Like, it comes out of nowhere. It's even a little bit of a key change. The vocals, he's lifting back up. He's trying to hit those high notes. It's just so out of place with the rest of that song. As you said, the verse is cool. The verse is punchy. The the kind of like clean singing and then the more tough guy yells. It's it's right up our alley. We were loving this sort of shit. And then this cheesy, jangly chorus that's just a bit empty and nothing. It's it, it, You're right. It, it's a band that had a lot of talent. Great fun to listen to and, and, the, and the songs that are good are great. But as kind of like cohesive albums and a style and who are we as a band was never really kind of cemented, was it? No. And that's okay because there's a bunch of great songs that came out of it. But it just was weird to see so much kind of back and forth. I don't know where I am. And listening to this record really depended on my mood. Like overall, I enjoyed it and really loved listening to it. But when I would sit down and focus on things, I was just quite taken aback by how starkly different it was at times and maybe not purposefully and maybe not for the better as well. You know, there are songs like The Deep End, which have really cool dueling guitars, which I'm sure um, had a bit of a Sayerson kind of vibe to it, whether they influence Sayerson, vice versa. You can certainly hear that in some of the choruses as well. And then they've got this song, Snake Devil, which could almost be a Maylene song. <laughs> like the, I'm going to play a little clip from Snake Devil now and tell me that this ain't Maylene. These guys are from the desert. They are from Arizona, so you can justify it. But that was that toying with Southern that bands were doing in the mid to late 2000s, that little take a bit from every time I die and see if we can get away with it. And there's a couple of other little riffs here and there, but not much. They pretty much just put it all into one song called Snake Devil towards the end of the album. Just go, fuck it. There you go. There's a Southern track for you. But yeah, it's still a bit odd. I, I do think this album as a full album runs a little more smoothly i guess well they, they're going for something you mentioned the kind of like two uh you know more chill songs back to back with derailed and breathe both minute long you know derailed has some singing and and kind of acoustic and then breathe is just instrumental only they both only go for like a touch over a minute so it's a clear kind of break in the album a little interlude as you will without calling it interlude at least which yeah, is good. thank you guys because <laughs> we've talked about fucking hating that but yeah 15 songs almost an hour long it's it's a big ask it's it is a stretch for this scene usually we're used to you know short sharp 10 songs 30 to 40 minutes done but this this is far more going for like a, an epic release uh and yeah it, it's it's good it's a good album i probably don't enjoy listening to it as much uh as as uh the city sleeps in flames more just from a nostalgic point of view than anything i think just a lot of those songs i remember more 
whereas self-titled there's really only one or two that i kind of remember probably faces from you and phil picking on it yeah <laughs> we've probably played that a bit as a bit of a joke from time to time but the sayism vibe is is very very strong i'm glad you mentioned that because unlike on the first album where i was rifled through four five six potential influences on certain songs this album doesn't have as many i really feel that it's a lot of says and stuff especially with the guitar a little bit more theatrical and moody and dark a little bit of my chem kind of vibes coming through a little bit and then weird southern songs but uh yeah so it doesn't have a lot of those other influences they're kind of going for a sound a bit but maybe still just a little bit short but it's a bit of a shame because there's only two albums from them this is it they never really kind of got to continue on to see where they would have gone or whether this was them as a band and they just enjoyed kind of like getting together writing songs the style the sound where it sat in the scene or not was kind of they didn't really care maybe or they were a band that always struggled with their identity and and weren't quite sure what they wanted to be who knows we'll we'll probably never know the answer obviously this band was well respected in the scene they were well liked by other bands and if we had a bigger sample size maybe we would have seen that yeah this is just the way they do things they're a little bit all over the shop but you did pick up on the fact that that record was purposefully more cohesive it meant to have be a bit more of a package and they did pull that off so full credit to them for that But after this record, they moved to a major label and eventually broke up. It seemed to be a mutual agreement. There didn't seem to be any serious acrimony to it. But sadly, about four years after they had broken up, frontman Tyson Stevens passed away. So on October 20th, 2014, he reportedly died of a heroin overdose, which was reported by Alternative Press and TMZ, of all things, because they love to just get their hands on anything, even if it's someone just a little bit famous. Now, anonymous sources reported a suspected heroin overdose, and both Stephen's girlfriend and mother confirmed he had struggled with heroin addiction in the past, but was recently clean, and no further details have ever been provided, which is fair enough. These things are never easy for people to address and talk about you know the band weren't active at the time anymore so there wasn't necessarily this big um, kind of obligation to the fans but it does seem sadly to be you know another victim in the scene in rock and roll in general to succumb to their drug use and all I would like to say about that is addiction is not the opposite of sobriety it's the opposite of connection and addiction is a condition and we all need to ensure that, you know, we can't help every person that's struggling and we can't come up with policies that will fix everything. But as we head to the polls soon, I just ask that people think about voting for politicians that understand that addiction and drug use is more of a public health issue than a criminal justice one. Here, here. Well, That's a bit heavy, and that's not what we're always about on this pod. We like to keep things light. We like to have a bit of fun. So would you like to play a game, my friend? Let's do it.
that was the hardest one I've done. I've I've been dealing with a cold all week and I cannot hit any <laughs> notes. And it's why I, I kind of retreated from giving Tyson Stevens too much shit for being a bad singer because these songs are hard to sing, man. Man, I can't believe you went for that one. The, the, the chorus that we just spoke about. <laughs> I faded it out. Fuck that chorus. Oh, good. Yeah, fuck that chorus, man. Uh, all right. I, I definitely must admit that I... Uh, I took a little bit of an easy route. Sometimes we've looked at bands' names of, oh, where's the pun here? Where's the joke? Where, where's the whatever? Uh, scary kids, scaring kids. Fuck it. Let's take the easy route. We're doing scary movie questions. Woo! Uh, and I know you're quite the fan of the horror scary movie genre. So I've pulled up a bit of a, uh, a quiz from uh, usefultrivia.com. Uh, for those playing at home, especially Brother Andy, you can search for it, Horror Movie Trivia, something like that. It's called after the after the website, but Google it. You'll, you'll find it. Uh, there's a shitload of questions on this, but I'm just going to kind of scroll through and pick ones that I think you know, might be more up your alley. And uh, we'll see what we learn. We'll see what you know, because I know this is sort of your thing. So I don't know. We might go through 10 or so questions. Pressure's on. A little bit of pressure. Yeah, they're all multiple choice questions. Uh, so we'll see how you go. I think there's a sound effect on this website, so if we get weird buzzed when you get it wrong, uh, it just comes part and, part and parcel of the website. I'm not doing anything different. All right, question one. For You've you. really put the work in this oh, week, so haven't you, Oh, so much work, man. It, it's, we're just coming off the back of Easter, <laughs> and fuck it, not enough time to get shit done. So <laughs> this is the one we're going for. It will be fun. All right, question one. Uh, what classic horror movie features a serial killer in a William Shatner mask? I'm also going to say, because you're a big fan of this genre, if you know any of them before me giving you the options, definitely feel free just to tell me. I don't want to be too cocky straight off the bat, but that's Michael Myers. That mask is painted white, so that's the Halloween movies. Let's see. Halloween is an option, so I'm going to click it. And I didn't get buzzed out. Oh, we get a ding, ding, ding. <laughs> All right, yeah. So right basically the, the little write-up they give me, which is which is interesting, is like had a pretty low budget for this movie. So the cheapest mask they could find was in like the costume store of a mask that they use for The Devil's Reign, a 1975 movie. And then they just altered it, spray-painted it, fucked with it a bit, reshaped the eye holes, and there's your mask. So... Well done, man. That's it. Very good start. We'll move on to question two. Another one that I don't think you'll need the options for, but we'll see how you go. In which horror movie does the protagonist write a book that contains only the line, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy? Repeated over and over and over and over. That would have to be The Shining. The Shining, you say? That is correct. <laughs> the Shining. For copyright reasons, it's The Shining. <laughs> it's The Shining. Now, well done, mate. I think one of your... Your favorite directors, big Stanley fan, and, and I think an amazing movie. This one's just a weird question. I will give you the options because there's no way you would know this. But the question is, how many people associated with The Exorcist died during production? So like staff and actors and those associated with the movie. How many of them died during the production of the movie? Was it three, six, nine, or 12? I can't believe that three is the lowest option. I only thought it was like one or two. So I'm going to go with three. Let's see. Uh, so yeah, by the end of the film's production, nine people associated with the making of the movie had passed away. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. That's pretty wild. All right. Uh, we're going to move on. What question am I up to? Question four, I think. Question four. What color is Freddy Krueger's sweater? I can give you options. Red and green. Red and green? 
It is correct. Red and green. Yeah, boy. Well done, man. Yeah. Uh, the the kind of little write-up I get here uh, is that Wes Craven uh, kind of read a scientific journal that said that these two colors are the most clashing colors to the human retina. And that's why he went with red and green. So there you go, man. Very cool. Uh, another killed, uh, how many people died, question, but not real people uh, in the movie. How many people does Jason kill in the first Friday the 13th film? Is it none, 13, 5, or 9? I'm going to go with 13 just because it's my favorite number. It's the name of the movie. He's pretty vicious, though. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with that because i got no idea. 13. 13. I did come across this one earlier, and it actually couldn't be more opposite. It is zero. As in oh, Jason's, Jason's mother. Mom is the yeah, oh, Pamela does all the killing in this one. Of course. I haven't seen it, but I can see you going, fuck, I know that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he oh of course. Yep. That's uh that's well played, Skinny Nick. Well played. Well, we we must think again, <laughs> usefultrivia.com. But uh <laughs> we'll move on. Uh a bit of a favorite of our household, and I know you're very into it as well. The next question is, in Scream, what is rule one on Randy's list of rules for surviving a horror movie? I will give you some options. Is it that you don't drink or do drugs, don't go outside alone, don't have sex, or don't say, I'll be right back? Which one is rule one? Fuck. They're all on the list, aren't they? I think they are all on the list, yes. Uh, so my first, my gut instinct was don't have sex, but then it, that got blown away by all of those things. I'm pretty sure being on the list, don't go outside and say, I'll be right back. That, that to me feels like the first one you really see. Oh, this is tough. Don't have sex. Don't have sex is correct. Which is a rule I've followed for all 33 years <laughs> of my life. Still haven't been murdered yet. I think the, the sex marks the character for certain death when Sydney sleeps with Billy, who turns out to be one of the killers. But then Sydney doesn't die, so I don't really know what the deal oh, is spoiler there. Spoiler alert. Anyway, yeah, I'm probably spoiling a lot of fucking movies here for people. Oh, a movie from 1995. I think they'll be right. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of those people, though, that will still kind of like be a bit cheesed off if someone says, oh, I was going to watch that. I fucking, I was just waiting to get around to Gone with the Wind. I just haven't watched it yet, man. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to another question. Again, as I said, I'm just plucking these out, so I don't know how many we're up to. You've got a shitload right. Uh, let's see how you go with this one. What horror movie features a serial killer wearing a mask inspired by an Edvard Munch, or Munch painting? Is it Scream, The Man in the Black Suit, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, or Halloween? Uh, I'm going to assume it is the painting, The Scream, and therefore it is the mask from Scream. That's all I've got. Man, you absolutely nailed it. It oh, is right on. 100% based on the Edward Munch painting, The Scream. I'm definitely pretty com confident that I'm pronouncing that guy's name wrong, so sorry for that. But let's have all a look. All those Munch fans out there. This will be a good one. I reckon you might know this. Which horror movie was filmed in just seven days? We're talking about Scary Kids, Scaring Kids doing their first album in what was it? How many weeks? Four weeks for a full album. These guys did a horror movie in seven days, one week. So that's crazy. The options are The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 
Paranormal Activity, A Nightmare on Elm Street, or Halloween. One of these was filmed in just seven days. Do you know it? I'm pretty sure it's Halloween. I think that's, it was a notoriously, I think you mentioned before, low-budget film. It, they had to do it really, really quickly. So is it Halloween? Let's see. Mm. Ah, shit. It's not Halloween. Ooh. Paranormal Activity. Uh, I it don't even acknowledge days. its existence. Yeah, <laughs> I think they... It took them that long? Oh, man, I'm surprised it's not two days or one day. I think it's even, a lot of it is just shot on a tripod, like a camera, just sitting on a tripod. It's a documentary, isn't it? Yeah, doco. <laughs> it was like to eliminate camera crew and more money is just like pop the camera on a tripod, put it in the corner of the room and film. And boy, did they make millions. Oh, man, so many much millions. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you one more... What was the first horror film nominated for Best Picture? Don't think horror films are often getting up there for Best Picture, but this one was nominated for Best Picture at an Oscar. It was the first one. Was it Psycho, The Silence of the Lambs, The Shinning, or The Exorcist? Oh, man, I got no idea. Yeah, me neither. Um, <laughs> I am going to say The Silence of the Lambs, based on absolutely nothing. <laughs> Another guess. Take another guess. Um, <laughs> We're going to rifle through this. The Shining. Shining. Mm. Fuck. No. Psycho or The Exorcist? <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Psycho. Mm. Nah. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Uh, the Exorcist. Hang did it win an Oscar or just nominated? Let's see. Uh, the Exorcist earned 10 Oscar nominations in 1974, including Best Supporting Actress nod for Linda Blair. She was only 15 at the time. No, I think it was just nominated. I don't. I don't think it won. Wow. Uh, somehow Holy it was shit. nominated. It was nominated for ten things that that year. Holy hell! I didn't even know there were ten awards back in '74. That must have been a quiet year. That's. I mean, it's a. It's a great. It's a great film. And if it is one of those classics you haven't seen, check it out. But weird. Yeah. 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 There's a few on there. I need to need to check out. But. That's it. I think the listeners had enough. We've had enough. That's probably the least effort I've ever put in. I apologize to everyone, but fuck it. Sometimes that's what happens. And you did very well. More than 50% correct. So a big pass for you, my friend. Thank you very much, my dear friend. Uh, that was a delight. Um, I'll still keep you around, even though, you know, you're really not putting in the work there. <laughs> oh, man, man, I will. I will. I will be back soon. I will come up with something more enjoyable Skinny in the Nick. future. Redemption Actually, quiz. If, if, people, if people have any ideas, like I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners listen to a lot of other podcasts and doing a quiz or a game isn't, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel there. But, you know, we, we come up with a few different ideas. We do a lot of multiple choice stuff. Uh, but if people have heard other ideas of cool quiz games or things that we could kind of implement, hit us up. Hit us up on Instagram. Let us know. Um, we're always keen to try something a little bit different and challenge each other a bit and have a bit of fun with the quiz segment. So give us your ideas, friends. You've been wonderful listeners. Hook some brothers up. Give us a contribution. Pod at gmail.com. Tell us what you want or what your ideas are. We're always listening because 35 episodes in, we're running out of ideas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell them, man. <laughs> um, moving on with... Uh, scary Kids, Scaring Kids. They did come back in 2019, albeit in quite a different manner. Um, most of the original members returned, which was great, but this time they brought along Cove Reaver, former Sayerson singer and now dead American singer. They got a few shows into a tour in 2020 before, you know, COVID, if you haven't heard of it, this kind of whole pandemic thing. COVID Reaver? There was like a... <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's real good. But yeah, there's this whole like Wuhan bat situation thing that kind of shut down the world for a bit. So, you 
you might not have heard of it. But anyway, that kind of screwed things up a little bit. But they stuck together. They've stayed working together. And um, Cove did a really great job on vocals. But they're coming back this year with a new record that takes quite an interesting approach. And they've never really been scared to you know, incorporate others when Tyson wasn't available, whether it was unwell or off the tour or whatever it might be. Um, you know, they've had people fill in. They've had people like Vic Fuentes fill in. Um, from Pierce the Veil, Brandon Bulmer from Chiotis. They've had Craig Mabbitt from Escape the Fate fill in. And even this time around, um, you know, Cove Reba wasn't going to keep being their singer. So they got Craig Mabbitt back. He got COVID. So they got Kurt Travis from Dance Gavin Dance. So these guys are not scared to put someone else at the front. And they're about to release a record that has an entirely different vocalist on every track. So you've still got Scary Kids, Scaring Kids instrumentation, and then a different vocalist. And it's quite an interesting approach. You know, they've got Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills. They've got Cove Reba from Sayerson, Dead American. Spencer Chamberlain from Under Oath. Mod Sun, who's a modern day pop artist who was their drummer very briefly. Vanes, who is their new guitarist. And Little Lotus, who's one of those like emo rap kind of dudes that people that are younger than us understand. There's quite an interesting spread of people on this record and it's quite a unique approach to a record you know we spoke about what they might have done differently if they had a third record or we had a bigger sample size well, we're about to get that and we are getting this third record that is very very different to anything they've done before to hear different voices every time is an incredibly unique approach and not something i've seen really done a lot before it's really unique and it showcases a band that is still together still writing music uh, you know you'll know more than me but i assume the kind of core musicians of the band are still there this isn't a band that only has one person left is it like it's not like the guitarist is the only guy they've still got the guitarist and the keyboardist and the original drummer so i, I feel like that's a pretty solid backing that's solid that's a solid three uh so to continue on and and it's kind of cool to instead of just going okay well unfortunately our lead singer is no longer with us uh, you know, let's just re- replace him and, you know, release something some, you know, 10 years or what was it? There was a, a little bit of release, but not an album. There hasn't been an album, I guess, for, for fucking since 2007. So instead of just going, this is our new frontman for our first album in 15 years and everyone going, oh, okay, fair enough. Especially if it was going to be Cove Reba too, because as you said, he's, he's done says and he's in another band now. He's floated about, about in different bands in the scene. I think some people have just been like, Okay, I guess, cool, Cove's now the singer. But to have this idea, every song, new singer, let's. it will be very, very interesting to hear. I wonder if there'll be any cohesiveness to it and the singers are just kind of coming in and singing on the songs that the band have kind of put forward or whether the individual singers are going to have quite a say in the songs and the style and have that make sure it matches their vocal sound and capability it's it's a cool unique style i've never really seen before it's like a christmas album uh so yeah i'm, I'm really it, it's a thing that a band that i otherwise would not have cared less really about a new album they're bringing out some 15 years later but all of a sudden i'm like fuck i really want to listen to that and hear how it all comes together it's going to be an interesting experiment i'm really keen to see what the results are but it got me thinking if we had to do the same what would we do if we were to have a band and have to put some vocalists at the front of it? So you know what? It's time for something, Skinny Nick. Build a record. Can we build it? Build a record. Yes, we can. 
So the criteria this week is a five-track EP, one band, five vocalists. Who are you going with, Skinny Nick? All right. So to confirm the rules, there was a band. We had to pick a band, right? But the singer from that band can't be one of your five singers. It's just the exactly. it's just the musicians from that band. Yep. Then we're adding in five singers for five songs. Okay. I must admit that one of the first singers I wanted, I really then wanted the band as well. So I, I chopped in. So it was either going to be, this was going to be the band and unfortunately this person wouldn't get to sing or I pick his band and choose the singer from the band that I've ultimately gone with. So I decided to do... The band is Alexis on Fire, so I'm getting Chris, Wade, Dallas, and Jordan together to play on stage. Unfortunately, we don't get any George here, which is a huge, uh, a, a huge downside of, of the, the EP that I'm putting forward. But I'm really, really happy with the other four guys playing music. They're very talented. I feel like they could just about play anything. We're not going to get any Wade or Dallas vocals. This isn't for them. Oh, They're just going to be playing their instruments. Well done, Nick. Well, I think the, unless the rules allow it, but well, they can do some BVs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there's going to be some... No leads. There's BVs from them, but they're not my front people because the front people, the front people criteria had to be different. And the first one that I went with, I couldn't go past. And it is a shame that I can't have his band Circus Survive as the band, but it's Anthony Green. Oh, yeah. Like, who, who doesn't want this guy to sing on a song on an album he nails everything he does he's one of our favorites we talked about him to death in the episode that where we covered anthony green and his sayerson and circus survive eras we talked about our favorite high singing vocalist and he came out on top in that so for me i couldn't go past him man and he's on my ep is he on yours oh well you've spoiled my number one haven't you he absolutely is i i hope we don't have oh, there we go. I hope we don't have too many crossovers because yeah how could we not have him <laughs> he was he's just fucking amazing i, I was i was worried about the crossover because it is a thing we struggle with a lot is even though we do this entirely separate our brains go but i have a feeling that when you just ran through what scary kids scaring kids are doing and you kind of mentioned some people from other genres. I was a little bit boring this week and kept it kind of all in the genre, the screamo emo genre. I haven't stepped outside of that much. I feel like you might have. I don't know. You seem like you take me mm. someone who might. I don't know. Anyway, we'll, we'll move on. Everyone in mine is a bit of an emo, whether they're an emo singer or not. Okay. Uh, I, I must admit, I'm, I'm a, it, it, mine's very much in the wheelhouse of the scene that we talk about so much. So I'll move on. There's no, there's no real order to this, but I will say my second singer talked about them last week, talked about them in the International Women's Day episode. It's Courtney LaPlante from Spirit Box. I just love this girl. You've really put me onto someone who I love watching live probably more than listening to on records. I just love watching her ability to change from cleans to screams. We spoke about it a lot already, but what a fun person to have. Alexa on Fire songs with Courtney LaPlante singing. She can do George's bits when she screams. She can do Dallas's bits when she hits the high vocals. Fuck it. Courtney is in for me. People, go back and listen to our International Women's Day episode and... Enjoy us talking about Spirit Box or just skip it and go straight to listening to Spirit Box because they rule and she rules. Great choice. Yeah, man. I I was really happy with that one. I'm going to continue on uh, giving you the rest of my singers on my EP. Uh, We spoke about Scary Kids, Scaring Kids wanting to use him. I also want to use him. Spencer Chamberlain from Under Oath. Come on down. Uh, Oh, yeah. He's in, man. He's in. I, I, I think it was really from... Um, disambiguation album where spencer takes the reins and does everything and it's one of our favorite albums he can do it all 
and he's amazing live he's amazing recorded he's in spencer is on my ep and then i go to the other spectrum heavy more to pop in the emo screamo hardcore round we're going more on the pop emo route it's jared way man my chemical romance gotta put him on there he's a big draw card he's gonna sell tickets to shows he's awesome he nails everything he does and what a draw card imagine him do it. imagine you know scary kids scaring kids doing this and then jared way going oh yeah i'll do a song like that would be oh, fucking amazing i want to hear him on my darkest hour that's what i want <laughs> right now it would be so good so he's in and i've only got one spot to fill and it goes back all the way to one of our first episodes and one of my all-time favorite early emo bands that i still absolutely adore especially the early shit Hayley williams man paramore Hell get her yeah. get her in she's so so cool she's still rocking out now paramore is still going but she does solo stuff too but it's really the early Haley williams stuff i want be super emo join alexis on fire on stage and that is my lineup anthony green spencer chamberlain jared way courtney laplante and Haley williams that is an excellent little lineup there man and i think you've really tapped into you know a favorite band of yours and then artists that would actually fit really really well i've tapped into a band that is also a big favorite of mine it's Dance Gavin Dance with <laughs> the spectrum of music that they have put out across their discography. And I think I think the chains have finally come off. I've alluded to this band all through, you know, weaved through our show, but we finally did an episode on them. And I can finally just be like, yep, you know what? Out and proud. Dance Gavin Dance, my favorite band. Love them. Can't get enough of them. So they're providing the music. I've got Daryl Palumbo from Glassjaw having a crack at vocals. Oh, yes. I think his ability to work with light and shade is something that Dance Gavin Dance do really well. And they've got like an element of funk that I don't think he's really worked with before. And I'd love to see that crossover. You know, he's an all-time favorite vocal influence for me and an incredible vocalist. I'd love to hear him work with Dance Gavin Dance. Amazing pick. My next choice is a bit of a Homer pick. I mentioned her in the International Women's Day episode. It's someone I've been in a band before with. It's Alison Tom from How Light. I think she's an incredible singer. I think more people need to listen to what she does, and she would absolutely be featuring on this uh, EP slash live festival appearance with Dance Gavin Dance. Her vocal range is incredibly impressive. Her lyricism is great, and she's a singer that I just think deserves way more credit than she gets. So she's right up there for me. Love that, man. I have had the pleasure of seeing Alison sing live, and she nails it. So awesome pick. Love a bit of homegrown talent on your EP as well. I've gone all overseas, so that's good. Bit of, bit of Aussie flag waving there for your EP. Love it. Black and love it, mate. Yeah, no dramas, mate. Buddy, dinky die, fair digger. Fucking how you going? Yeah, fucking A. Next choice, I've got Dallas Green from Alexis on Fire. He's going to come and put those beautiful angelic pipes, you know. We don't need Johnny Craig. we got Dallas Green. So he's going to come and put some of that beautiful little tastiness all over those tasty licks. Oh, man. I wish I could have put him in, but the rules, just, just the way it was. He couldn't be a lead singer. I'll get some BVs from Dallas, but... Uh, that was a tough pick. It, it was either going to be uh, Alexis is the band, Anthony Green sing, or Circus Survivor the band, and Dallas sing. So I ended up going. I ended up going the other, and you did too. You went. You went Anthony Green as well. So you know. Next, I've got Billie Eilish. She's on top of the world. She's an incredible singer. You know, just someone who has really got that crossover appeal like when she first came out i'm like yep just a a thing for little girls and teenagers but i very quickly realized that she is an incredible musician incredible singer and someone who deserves 
every bit of success that she's getting. So I would love to hear her do her thing on a Dance Gavin Dance track. And this is what I meant before. Maybe, you know, not an emo artist, but definitely a bit of an emo. And lucky last, you've spoiled it a bunch of times, but of course it's Anthony Green. How could I not have Anthony Green? Probably the best singer in all of the scene, paired with, you know, my favorite band in the scene. Fans of Dance Gavin Dance are constantly begging Anthony Green to do something with the band. And he and Tillian have even done a song together, which admittedly was a little bit meh, but uh, certainly a little taste of what could come. But I want to give a shout out to my boy Ron Burgundy, who has given me the chance to showcase what a Dance Gavin Dance Anthony Green song would sound like. Oh, here we go. So here's a little bit of that now. So that's my lineup. I got Daryl Palumbo, Alison Tom, Dallas Green, Billie Eilish, Anthony Green, all backed by the musical prowess of Dance Gavin Dance. That is awesome. Imagine if that happened. Imagine if somehow they were able to do not just a song together, but do a full EP, a full album. Why not? It'd be amazing. Two pretty rocking EPs there. Listeners, please let us know. We'll put up on Instagram something that represents our little EPs here and you can share yours with us too. Man, that was a lot of fun. I don't know if we'll ever really be able to do that again because it's kind of like a bit of a a once-off, but that was a lot of fun. A slightly different take on the Builder Band, uh, but that, that was cool. A lot of amazing singers. Man, for me... That's really it. We've we've kind of getting a little bit sidetracked from Scary Kids, Scary Kids, because there were really only two albums to talk about, and we went into detail on those. But I haven't got much else to cover. Is there anything else you want to say, man? R.I.P. Tyson. Best of luck to the band with everything that they got going on now. We do very much look forward to listening to that new record. So that's it this week for the Violence and Sunshine podcast. As always, check us out on Instagram, at Violence and Sunshine. Uh, whichever platform you're listening to us on we appreciate all those five star ratings that have been coming through and everyone that's been subscribing uh tell a friend spread the word we appreciate all our new and old listeners yes thank you so much for listening and make sure you join us next week when we'll be exploring a day to remember i'm paul and i'm nick and now my only hope is to take back what you've stolen